the Space Case Sarah Show with space nerds Kobe and Benjamin. Who is Space Case Sarah? Spunky, edgy, smart, funny, and a rebel feminist. Now, witness it yourself on iRock Space Radio. Hello and welcome to season two of the Space Case Sarah Show on iRock Space Radio. Uh, it is a new year. It is 2023. And we are so excited to be kind of starting this new page of the Space Case Era Show. I'm here with my space nerds who are being exceptionally nerdy right now. Benjamin. Kavi uh, <laughs> and Benjamin. Um, Benjamin has a tardigrade on his shoulder like a pa- like a parrot. <laughs> like his, little pet, his little pet tardigrade. Um, my space nerds are, have joined me again. They've they've sucked it up for a whole season, and now we're we're starting the next journey together. Season two, season two. Of the space ah! here on iRock Space two. Radio. Uh, gentlemen, um, how was your holiday season? I like being Ooh. stuck in traffic driving to LA. <laughs> really? No, I didn't. Uh, actually, my daughter drove, which is exciting. Uh, she's Ooh, a new driver, and driving home was a lot of traffic. But I had a good time. Nice little, nice little family vacation break. Nice. Nice. How about you, Kavi? I I feel like I, I was about to say something that would be maybe only relatable to Benjamin, which is um, <laughs> I had like a very beach oriented uh, Christmas New Year's. Um, it's like I don't know, maybe California also had that kind of cool summery vibe, as opposed to the cold not cool oh yeah cold feelings that you were having sarah yes i had it was freezing cold and uh all of our drainage this the local drainage systems didn't work so everything flooded oh all the stores and all the roads you know sunny beachy like like coffee yeah (laughs) yeah no it was good i uh caught up with friends and uh did a bit of surfing and took newton my wonderful space dog for some walks and uh (laughs) Yeah, just hanging out with friends and feeling the nice. summer, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Is it summer in your part of the the <laughs> not real world? Because you are in a big part of the planet. Yeah, it was very cold. Sure. But then it got really warm here. Like, um, we almost broke a record high. It was 61 degrees. Uh, Fahrenheit. What is that in Celsius? <laughs> uh, don't put me on the spot. Uh, hold on one second. It got to about 40 degrees Celsius in uh, some parts of Sydney. So that's six, 16 degrees Celsius. 16. Okay. So that's eh, it's like a, a yeah, brisk I mean, for day. your part, but, but for, for my neck of, neck of the woods, it's um, that's extremely warm and just sort of another testament to the uh, effects of climate change. And I know everyone's always like, Oh, it was so cold. How can there be climate change? But that actually, that's why that's why climate change is happening. It's because the polar vortex dipped down too far low, so we got blasted with this Arctic air, and then it got pushed back up too too high, and then we suddenly got all this Gulf of Mexico air that was like incredibly warm. And those extreme swings. I hate to say this to everyone. I keep bees, and I know already that a hive has been lost because that's just too hard on them. It's too hard for that big swing to get that, that cold. And then that, that warm. So climate change sucks. <laughs> especially for the bees, uh, especially for the bees. But I'm glad that you both had time to enjoy family. I can't fathom having one of my children drive yet, Benjamin. So like, like, I'm like patting your shoulder. <laughs> it, was actually, it was actually very, very nice. She's oh, well, she's a young driver. She's but a good a driver. Okay. She's very good. <laughs> this is the um, tell me the name of our element again. Scandium. 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 I have absolutely no idea what element this is. I like. 21. I don't even know. Like what? What? Where is it? To be fair, I mean, it's a bit of a nothing burger element. <laughs> I need a periodic table in here because I'm like, what is it? It's what, one of the white where? metal ones. <laughs> they're all yeah, white. It's not heavy metal light metal okay not like okay. heavy metal it's like eh, you know, soft rock kind <laughs> of it's a soft rock kind of metal yeah it's more what, of a what do we need to metal. know what do we need literally to know nothing about this? we literally we need to nothing. know 
We need to know nothing about scandium except that it was discovered um, by a, a Swedish uh, chemist whose name was uh, Lars Friedrich Nielsen um, mm. in the 1870s. And uh, because he was Swedish, he named it after Scandinavia, uh, hence scandium. Outside of that, it's pretty much only used for some um, high-performance metals and um, in, in aluminum alloys. So it would be like an aluminum uh, scandium alloy that's used in uh, baseball bats or in, uh, I think, lacrosse sticks. And in some cases, it's used for certain aerospace alloys, but it's like, no, Benjamin, put down the baseball bat. Put it yeah, down. Put, no. Leave the emotional bat there. The emotional support bat. The emotional support bat, yes. <laughs> Interesting. Um, was that, and it's sort of like paleontology, right? Whatever element a scientist discovers, they have the right to name it whatever they wanted it to be, correct? It's, I think it's, it's kind of like that uh, line, speaking of paleontology, it's like the Jeff um the jeff goldblum one from jurassic park of like your scientists were they, they, they could do it but should they yeah and i feel like with some of the elements it's just like i i'll be honest i had never heard of scandium before we started preparing for this episode hmm. never heard of it. i hadn't i mean right and we've studied chemistry and we're still like yeah. the what I'll never <laughs> like, hear did... about it again well but now we know it's in bats. Benjamin! <laughs> what? It's in, bats. <laughs> it's in bats, not it's the animals. Bats. Bats. <laughs> what do you have for uh, us to learn about today? For our Scandia episode, which will air January 7th, mm-hmm. uh, that happens to be an uh, astronaut birthday to Frederick Gregory, who flew on three shuttle flights and Another then became the administrator of NASA for a short bit in 2005. And happy scientist birthday to Stephen Goombridge, English astronomer who compiled the catalog of circumpolar stars, often known as the Groombridge catalog. Uh, he cataloged eventually 4,243 stars within 50 degrees of the North Pole. Wow. Good on you, dude. Wow. That is cool. This is in the 1830s. That's really cool. He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, what you're really? saying is he. He will not receive our messages. Oh, mm. Nope. Just send him some good vibes. Look north when you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but thank you <laughs> to him. Thank you. Um, awesome. Yeah. I guess um, we didn't have a lot to do with this element. That's okay. And that, I guess, ties in nicely to the fact that we have a, an episode that has nothing relating to our element or really, there's really, it's not really a, it is a theme. We're going to play trivia with each other. We decided, I Love I it. felt like we just needed to do something different and fun. And so we're going to play trivia against each other, but each of us are going to take turns being the trivia host. And then the other two are going to guess. And then you, the listener, will, you know, either laugh at us because we're that ignorant and, you know, ignorant imbeciles. Or, um, you know, maybe you'll learn something along the way with us. I hope I know. I'm going to learn a lot. I'm looking at you, Kavi. Bring it. Um, <laughs> Just go to people who we really are. Let's go. Yeah, well, so uh, we decided uh, Kavi will go first. Benjamin and I will show our ignorance first, since we have the astrophysicist giving us some uh, questions. And um, I I don't know how many times I've mentioned it on this show, but I failed chemistry. I didn't fail. I didn't fail. Actually, I shouldn't say I failed, but I've taken chemistry unsuccessfully many oh times. So, oh. <laughs> I've also taken it unsuccessfully uh, once. Unsuccessfully. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably surprise us and ask us questions about marmalade or something. <laughs> What's the it's gonna be Vegemite. 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 <laughs> so we each are gonna kind of like stick to our respective corners of things that are the most interesting to us. So um Kavi is, you know, our astrophysicist. I really like astrobiology. Benjamin is sort of the like rocket nerd and the and the space facts nerd and the history of science or space science, I should say, uh nerd. So we're gonna 
We're going to stick to our disciplines-ish. I just had an echo as you said that in my brain. It was Elton John going, rocket nerd. <laughs> rocket nerd. Okay. All right, Kavi. We yes. have about five minutes. I think that that should, that should be sufficient amount of time for you to uh, drop, yes, some, well, that drop will, some questions on us. That will depend on how long it takes you guys to figure out the answers. Um, there is a theme. There is a theme to the questions I am going to be posing today. And uh, okay. to figure out the theme, I will need you all to answer the very first question. Which oh, is, oh boy. Okay. okay. Which, <laughs> a particular type of stellar object that is bigger than a planet, or I should say more massive than a planet and less massive than a star is called a what? A moon? A gas giant? No, that is a planet. That's uh, a star. <laughs> or no, that is a, a gas giant, not a star. Bigger than a planet. More mass? More massive, yes. More massive than a planet. Or than more massive than a planet, less massive than a star? Yes. A protostar? No. Interesting girl. Interesting guess. Can I get a colder, warmer kind of thing going here? <laughs> um, do, do you mean in terms of the temperature of the object? So this is no, the, no. This is a <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's a, it's a, it's not an object. It's not a um, like a proto anything. It's not an object that's in the process of forming. This is an object that once it's formed, it is this thing that is more massive than most planets, right? It has oh, to be... so yeah, definitely not a moon. Um, yes, no, no moon. Smaller than a um, star. We're, we're talking about something that is roughly between 10 to 80 times the mass of Jupiter. That's the range of masses it sits in. Okay. Um, is it a type of star? I guess that's it. It is technically a type of star. Brown dwarf. Yes. <laughs> ah! Well, I didn't want to say brown dwarf before because that's a star. But then you, at the beginning, you said yeah, the it's star not part brown. of it threw me off too. I didn't think it would be a star. Okay. okay, okay. All right, brown dwarf. I'm amped. I'm amped. Here okay, we brown are. Dwarf. Brown dwarf. Yeah. That is the theme of my questions, which we've okay. discovered now. A the theme is the TV show questions. Red Dwarf. <laughs> Okay, they're right. Go oh on, go my on, go god, it's a throwback to what was it in that late eighties, early nineties British <laughs> comedy <laughs> sci-fi show? Uh -huh, this uh -huh. this uh -huh. is a fantastic theme so far. We should do this again. Okay, continue. Season three. All right, go. So for those for those playing at home, so brown dwarfs are uh, these kind of stellar or substellar objects. They uh, almost like the, the the missing link, you know, and paleontologists often talk about a missing link when, when you're talking about a link between primates and, and, and homo sapiens, primates and humans. Um, and so brown dwarfs fill in this mass gap between uh, massive planets like Jupiter's and um, stars, dwarf stars. And what's interesting about uh, brown dwarfs is that, in general, brown dwarfs cannot... Uh, they don't have enough mass to fuse hydrogen, uh, which okay. is, you know, the first thing that most uh, most stars spend the majority of their lives fusing hydrogen. Our sun has spent the majority of its life fusing hydrogen. However, some brown dwarfs on the more massive end can fuse something that is not hydrogen. What is it? Helium. Carbon. Carbon? Uh, shit. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> Oh, um, speaking of shit, sulfur, sulfur. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be a noble keep, gas, right? It's keep 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 in mind that um, in order to fuse heavier and heavier elements, you need to have more and more mass pushing inwards. So, if there isn't enough mass to uh, fuse hydrogen and helium. It has to be something less massive than hydrogen and helium. Mm. Yeah. Ooh, I need a periodic is... table. I'll give you a hint. A periodic table would not help you. It oh. won't. 
Well, then I was just going to Google one. Okay, never mind. That only deals with atoms. Mm. Something, something, something subatomic. So it, but it, it can't be. It's not protons. It's just, not like carbon. Is it, no, it can't be. That's a bigger. That's heavier than. Right. Hydrogen. That's that's too much. I right. feel like so those the are. Or, table. To, to to clarify, it is an isotope. Oh. That is less heavy than helium, more heavy than hydrogen. H two. Bing, 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 bing. Oh, deuterium. look at you. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Look deuterium. at you. Yes. Deuterium. It is one of the two single <sighs> isotopes of hydrogen. Huh. It's one proton, one neutron together. So some brown Which... dwarfs, even though they cannot stably fuse hydrogen, they fuse deuterium. Uh, normally, a star will fuse hydrogen for the majority of its lifespan, billions of years, and then uh, it, it's fusing hydrogen into helium. And then at a certain point, it will uh, then fuse helium into heavier and heavier elements and so on and so forth. Brown dwarfs are pretty common in the universe, right? Or are they? I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know that they are common. Okay. I think what's, just... what's difficult, it, it, it would be difficult to say because we have a selection bias effect and that brown dwarfs don't always give off um, enough radiation to be detected by the surveys that we're using. So they wouldn't be as apparent to us. Oh, uh, okay. Mm, interesting. Right. And I will give one final question since uh, we are coming okay. to the end of my five-minute segment that has turned into <laughs> a seven-minute segment. Oh, this That's is fantastic. Okay. No, this is fun. <laughs> All right. Now, brown dwarfs are a lot cooler than regular stars. What? Uh, I guess I'm going to give a range, uh, but I want you guys to tell me, if you can, uh, what would be the range of temperatures, roughly? And you can give this to me in degrees Kelvin, Celsius, I was going to say Kelvin. Fahrenheit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Roughly, what is the temperature of the coolest brown dwarf? Or if we're being technical, sub-brown dwarf. So it would be a low-mass brown dwarf that has been detected to date. How low can it go? So, and, and like, so Calvin is the one that can, can measure absolute zero. Absolute, the absolute coolest, correct? Yes, we, we don't do no negatives and, in Kelvin. Right, um... So I'm going to go on the Kelvin because it seems like you're implying that this is surprisingly chill. Yeah, uh, it's pretty chill, I guess. Yeah, it's pretty chill. Okay. Oh, I don't know. I don't even know, though. I don't know, like, what the averages are. Quarter million degrees Fahrenheit. 250,000. I'm going to say 500 Kelvin. I don't know. That seems really cold, but. Are you crazy? Yeah, I know. It's super cold. Yeah, it's hot. Uh, okay, so Sarah, your guess is 500 Kelvin, and Benjamin, your guess was? I said quarter million degrees. I don't care what that is. <laughs> Fahrenheit, Celsius. Wouldn't, wouldn't matter at that point. It's um, the body temperature of 17 elephants. Yeah. Yeah. Seven eagles. <laughs> Seven eagles. Are these African elephants? <laughs> European. Okay, European swallows. That's the answer. European swallows. Unladen European swallows. Um <laughs> Yeah, so so Benjamin's guess, unfortunately, was actually higher than the temperature of the sun. Um, <laughs> a quarter million degrees? Really? I thought the sun was like millions of degrees. All right, I'm off. Um, well, I, I, mean, like, I mean, in the center of the sun, it's about a million degrees, but we're talking about like the effective temperatures of Mars. So, so our sun's like external temperature, the effective photospheric temperature is about... Like six thousand degrees Kelvin. Damn. So, okay. Sarah, you are actually closest. <laughs> <laughs> Probably like way not even close. But go high. <laughs> several orders of magnitude. Should I say five hundred one degrees Kelvin? Damn. <laughs> you could you could guess that, but you would still be further. Um, the temperature Damn. range for the coolest brown dwarf or sub brown dwarf is actually 
around 230 to 260 degrees Kelvin. What's that in Fahrenheit Celsius? In Celsius, that would be around 40, minus 40 to minus 13 degrees Celsius. And in Fahrenheit, it would be minus 55 to around uh, a high of eight degrees Fahrenheit. Shut really? the front door. The so front the, door uh, is fully shut. So what? for lack of a better word, the surface of a brown dwarf is actually really cold. So do they yeah. think that there could be some out there that are even colder than that and we just can't detect it? Potentially, yes. Um, these sort of wow. brown dwarfs are known as what? rogue What planets. is happening? This you can't, you can't, I like legitimately... I have some notes I just, to write. This my mind past. just was blown. Yeah. Yes, we need and to end this segment. This guy but... is super close. This is like seven light years away. That's the only reason we could detect it. If it was like further wow. away, it would be very hard to detect. That is wild. Because brown dwarfs are talked about in astrobiology all the time, which is the segment that we're going to do some trivia on in the second segment. We have to take a break because we're like way over time. But that's okay. Um... Yeah, wow, wow. Okay, so yeah, you're listening to the Space Case Sarah Show with the space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin. I trust that, you know, we'll have maybe time at the end to shout out our handles because we are really over time right now. So we're going to take this break, and when we get back, we're going to do astrobiology trivia facts hosted by me. Ooh. And then Benjamin will take the third. So stick around, and we will be right back. You are listening to the Space Case Sarah Show here on IROC Space Radio. Welcome back to the Space Case Sarah Show. We are playing a trivia game this week. We just had an awesome first segment hosted by Kavi giving us some like mind-blowing astrophysics facts. Um, so now we are going to start this second segment with moi with some astrobiology trivia. And are you gentlemen ready? Yes. Okay. I'm ready. And astro... Astrobiology is my gemma I actually found this book in um, my pile here. And I just want to point this out really quick. I found this book. Someone gifted it to me. I never looked at when it was written. So it says, are there lives on our life on other world worlds? Are we the only inhabited planet? This was published in 1949. Wow. Like, so the, the question of are we alone? Yeah. Right. I know it even black and white. Maybe it's got that, like that smell to it too. Um, I love the old book smell. (sighs) Okay. So the, the, the basically astrobiology is the question of, are we alone and how would we detect life somewhere else? That's basically what it is. Yes. Oh, sorry. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So as of the first of January 2023, and this is a multiple choice question. <laughs> How many exoplanets have been discovered? Is 5, it 4,367, four, <laughs> 5,297, or 6,490? B, B, 5,001. Oh, my gut, my gut was on A. But but they're all very similar numbers. Are, Can I, I guess one less than Benjamin? <laughs> Benjamin is right. It is five thousand two hundred and ninety-seven planets. Wow. Which Kepler. right? Um, and of those, do you guys know how many they actually consider? So uh, NASA astrobiology doesn't like this term, but I'm going to use it anyways. How many of them are considered Goldilocks planets, meaning like they are in the prime uh, spot for maybe harboring, li- harboring life? Do you know how many? I'm just throwing that. I'm going to go for Is there multiple choice coming? No, I. you know what? I just remember the number. 420. So. I want 420. I want to mm. say uh, half, <laughs> half of them. No, it's actually a super slim number. It's uh, 32. <gasps> oh, so Kavi won with the 420. Nice. And yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, the I was going to get 42. I should have gone with that. Perfectly little sweet spot away from its star, considering what the star is. So as uh, Kavi mentioned, apparently stars can run super duper duper cold. Um, that that distance between the star and its respective heat giving properties is called the Goldilocks zone. And there are very, very, very few that we have found so far that are in the Goldilocks zone. That does not mean that it's Earth-like or that it has, you know, water or things that could support life as we know it. Means it. That, uh, 
liquid water could exist. Is that right? Um, I don't even think it's liquid water could exist. It's just that it's, oh yes, you're right. Liquid water could exist from where it's at in position to its star. Yeah. Right. Which um, means that can make porridge, hence Goldilocks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I guess mm-hmm. they don't like Goldilocks zone though, because we have discovered so many other places that have potentially liquid water that are further away from the said Goldilocks zone. They don't like to kind of pigeonhole that idea that like, this is the only place life could exist. Mm. So they are moving away from that term. Um, but I'm just using that because I don't know really what else to, uh, <laughs> what else to, to say it as. All right. Next question. When was okay. the first exoplanet discovered? Do you want multiple choice or do you want to just Ooh, guess? I think I have a guess. Uh, I have a guess, okay. but I wouldn't mind hearing the options. Okay, 1992, 1995, or 1997? Oh, oh my gosh. I was going to say 1980-something, so I think I... Guess. <laughs> my, the, the, first, the first two were my gut guesses and it would have been much cooler if i could guess rather than having two close options that are so close together um i'm gonna go with 95 i was gonna yeah i was gonna say 95 95 like it is actually 97 Ah. oh no i'm sorry hold on let me double check burr i demand a recount yeah hold on hold on i'm i'm second guessing myself now i will google it again I should have like when was the, I have a Google right there, ninety two. I'm sorry, it was the first one, not ninety seven. It was ninety two. Uh, I know. I I always think ninety five, and that's why my head went to ninety seven. Um, ninety two. But think about that. We had no idea wow. there were other planets until nineteen ninety two. My gosh. Well, we had the idea. But we had no proof. Well, yeah, apparently in 1949, somebody wrote a book about this. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's just, you know, well, it's like so many things in space and space science. Like we, we, I mean, even, even the premise of, are we alone in the universe? The numbers are just compelling that there's just no way, right? By the math, there's just no way. There's just no way. Um, but that's yeah, the same thing with finding other planets. We just, we assumed there were probably other ones, but, um, and Kavi, you can probably explain it better than I can. But basically the reason that we were able to start discovering them is that we had to change the parameters of what to look for because uh, you look for them by basically watching them pass in front of their star and you can see the shadowing of that star. But some of these are, are orbiting their star so fast. We didn't even see them because we weren't, we, never would have assumed that they were orbiting that quickly and that's how they started discovering them yeah i mean i mean um the transit method which is what you're describing and like seeing these faint dips in the light um was something that we actually developed like even a little bit later i think i think it wasn't until 2002 um that we were actually able to detect an exoplanet with that before that it was these other kind of weird timing effects that you could use like pulsar timing was the first one and radial velocity um was the second one i think in 95 or 97 something like that the second one which would have been my correct answer (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah it's 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 wild that it took us so long it's it is honestly mind-blowing it is it really is i mean when you think about the things um especially during sort of like the golden age and you know the, the, the enlightenment periods and the and the renaissance and sort of like that things like the the jumps of of understanding our natural world that we took in those times um it does kind of seem like wow that took us a a bit to figure out but hey now we're up to oh gosh 5297 as of the beginning of this year so um yeah i would i would expect based on those numbers you know give it 10 more years and gosh who even knows how many we'll have it's gonna be like guardians of the galaxy (laughs) just have too many i i I think honestly like with the way that telescopes are improving in their ability we should expect that like we'll be getting that many each year in a couple of years yeah yeah especially with the one they're building in chile uh is it in chile right there's a big one there's a really big one getting built in china just finished their massive one uh fast oh 
uh, radio telescope. A big which, radio one, yeah. Which made Arecibo look like Bupkis. Yes, uh, I have seen I pictures of that Fast, one. Fast has been running for a while, though. No. It started, what, a year ago? A year and a half ago? It's relatively new. Uh, but it's a, it's a beauty. That's the biggest one they got, I think, as far as radio telescopes go. Um, well, technically, like... yes, sorry, we can talk about radio telescopes later, but... <laughs> <laughs> we do a radio telescopes episode? All right, now, next, 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 next. <laughs> we can do five. We are, we are a radio station, so it would be aprioso. Okay. Um, you guys, so I tried to, Benjamin said, make these easy. So I was trying to, I wasn't trying to like dupe you guys. What was the field of astrobiology originally called? There was a Ooh, name for it before astrobiology. astrobiology? Exobiology. Yes. Well yes. Guys. It was exobiology. Look at the snap. I wish I could snap. I don't know. Exobiology. It was actually quite the fringe science for quite a long time. Um, it wasn't until basically like the generation of Carl Sagan science communicators that really brought it forward to like, hey, this question of are we alone? <laughs> what are you guys doing? <laughs> it should be. Taken with more scientific <laughs> research, you know, significance instead of this being this like, are there aliens? You know, um, and so, but but before, actually, it wasn't even. It was even after Carl that it eventually got called astrobiology. Prior to that, it was exobiology. exobiology. So, yes. Um, and I knew so, that speaking from of Star Trek. <laughs> oh well, look at you. Speaking of Carl, um, Carl, Carl, and I'm sure you guys know this one, but what were the results of the Viking lander experiments on Mars? This is kind of like a trick. They question. found no Vikings. <laughs> it was inconclusive. It was yes. They had a so, thing, and they scooped up some Martian soil, and they added some liquid soup to it, and supposedly it gave off some sort of a gas that you would expect to get from a creature that digested something and then released gases from that. But there wasn't enough to say that there were actual microbes digesting things. It could have just been a natural reaction. From the chemicals, with, yes. With yeah, just a chemical reaction. Yeah, they were inconclusive. I mean, most people would say it is negative at this point. Um yeah, it's negative. There's, but, yeah. There still are some that, that hold on to the, it could have been positive, but it was basically like, like, you know, really, I have to kind of say, you designed a test with three experiments. And one was like, yes, one was no, and the other one was like, I don't know. Like what? That's called 50-50. <laughs> Is that 50-50? That's like, no. that's a big setup for a failure there, but... um. It was, you know, it's sort of like the detecting um, phosphine in the cloud decks of Venus. It's interesting enough to follow up on. Oh boy, Javi, do you have do you have do you have words on phosphine in the cloud decks of Venus? I would love to hear them. I have I have qualms. You have qualms. Oh gosh. Um, for those of you who are unaware, this was one of the most exciting things that came out. For astrobiology research, there was a, a team out of Britain who determined that they had picked up some evidence of phosphine in the cloud decks of Venus, which, as we know on Earth, can only be produced by biological organisms. But yes, it's been like whew, hotly contested now. So what, what are the qualms? As hot as the atmosphere of Venus. Um, I think I think what... The, the main uh, contention um, or issue that people had with it at the time was that it was a very, how can I put this? It, it was kind of a low significance result, basically, in science. When you model things, um, you create a model that has a number of parameters and you try to fit that model to the results that you see. And the more parameters that you introduce into your model, the more you can kind of 
um, the more malleable it can be and the more it can be manipulated to suit different outcomes. And so the issue was is that it was a quite a large number of um, parameters used in the fit to the uh, spectroscopic data that was used to uh, make that phosphine measurement. And so it's kind of like, uh, yeah, kind of. If, you, if it's like if you, it's it's like one of those paintings where if you look at it from just the right angle, you can kind of see something in it, but mm. it's not really. L- listen, I, at the end of the day, I, it's not a smoking I, gun. I, I got it. It's not a smoking gun, and I, I think the the issue is is that most people in the astronomical community are very, um, they we very much want these things to be true, but we want them to be. Um, you know, demonstrated in a way that's really clear. So like, let's, let's not get all excited about something that might not necessarily be the thing. Um, rather that's, you know, let's work on, as you said, it, it's worth following up on. Let's follow up on it. Let's not, you know, um, count our phosphine eggs. Before they hatch. <laughs> phosphine okay, chickens. I have one last one, then we're going to take a break. I know you have a time crunch going on here, so uh, sorry we're kind of going over. What celestial body likely has under its surface a water composition composition similar to the Dead Sea? Is it Enceladus, Pluto, or Mars? No. No. (laughs) Yes, yes. So you're saying Enceladus? I'm saying Enceladus. But why are we so just I actually Europa? learned today it's Pluto. Really? Really? Data has suggested that there is an underwater ocean on Pluto that has a similar composition to the Dead Sea. That is I didn't what? know. I did not I'm know. Writing that. down some new stuff. I uh, know. I learned that today. I can't remember exactly what what the like the instrumentation was that you know took that information, but. Um, it was Probably like five surprising pa- facts about astrobiology, and that was one of the huh. things. And it's really recent too, so I'm like, "Huh, well, there you go." And so, so Enceladus is also meant to have a liquid ocean under its icy surface, right? Yes, yes, yeah. but, but not with. Mm-hmm. Okay, but okay. not. With I don't the think. I think it's, it's not not as salty, dense as like the Dead Sea. I, I think that they actually think it's um, more life supportive. Like the Dead Sea is, eh, it's pretty hard for life yeah. to exist there. Yeah, yeah. it's not it's dead. There's still for humans yeah, the... to exist there. Like yeah. <laughs> from experience, yeah. don't don't get that stuff in your mouth. Nope. Just, just don't. Feels so, weird. yeah, Enceladus is super interesting and exciting, obviously for astrobiology. Um, huh. Which the Clipper that is so interesting. Study. I know. All right, it's we're gonna take a break. <laughs> Go Pluto, and when we get back, Benjamin will take the the rain, and uh, we will we will learn something. I'm sure again in our next segment. Rocket so you are listening nerd. to the Space Case Sarah Show here on IROC Space Radio. Welcome back to the Space Case Sarah Show. We are playing a trivia game, and we all have taken turns hosting. And now it is the man of the hour, Benjamin, who has promised us silly questions. So, Benjamin. Here we Take go. It away. Let's get some space history going. Oh, All right. Multiple choice. Okay. Who? Some of these are easy. Who was the first person in space? Was it Valentina Tereshkova, Chuck Yeager, Yuri Gagarin, or Alan <laughs> Shepard? I'm going to go with Yuri. <laughs> You'd be right. <laughs> Yuri. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, definitely Yuri. Yeah. Valentina, Valentina Tereshkova was the first woman. Who yep. also has my birthday. And Alan Shepard was the first American, and Chuck Yeager never went to space. He broke the sound barrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, next one. Since we're speed rounding this, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> what was the first satellite in space? Was it oh. Explorer, Ooh. Sputnik, Vanguard, <laughs> or Pioneer? Sputnik. A Sputnik. 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 Explorer one was our first one. You know, it's so funny. Just quick interjection here, though. Great I, I'm writing. I'm writing a piece on, um, like the Apollo moon broadcasting, and sure. it is mm-hmm. fascinating how much of the res- that that is basically a call and a response to the Sputnik and the Yuri, and how the Russians broadcasted, and how NASA responded was they were like, "Well, screw you. We're gonna live broadcast Neil on the moon." <laughs> so, okay, continue. <laughs> 
Okay. <clears throat> Which nationality has given us the most space travelers? Mm. Japan, Ooh. Russia, China, America, or Germany. Like I feel like it might be Russia. I don't know why. I feel it's like it Russia might be the or the U.S. Yeah. I'm oh wait, no. Russia. It's a trick question. It's a trick question. <laughs> it's going to be the U.S. because Russia and Soviet Union might be counted differently. Russia and Soviet Union are counted as the same. Yeah. Damn. The United States is first place with about three hundred and forty space travelers. Mm. Russia comes in second with around one hundred and twenty-one. Oh wow, that's a big difference. Yeah, it's you were sir. You space you space. <laughs> the space is the reason. Oh, uh, <laughs> okay. China's third. Uh, Japan is fourth, and Germany is fifth. Hmm. Uh, Germany has hmm. eleven. Okay, now we're gonna get a little f- more fun. Okay, what was <laughs> more fun? More, More fun? Funner? More funner? I'm going to funnerize <laughs> the fun out of this. What was the first food eaten in space? <gasps> was it beef and liver paste with a side of chocolate? A corned beef sandwich? A nice beef puree with vegetables? Or something from Pizza Hut? Corned beef sandwich. I was gonna say I do know that there is a story about corned beef. There is the there is a the, story. The sneaky in, sandwich, right? Yeah, something like that. I want to say that it's a though the corn the paste the beef paste with a side of chocolate. That's what I'm gonna go with because the corned beef. There's a story to that one. Yes. Well, you're right. You're on both counts. Yuri uh, Gagarin, on his first and only flight, also was the first man to eat in space, and he had a beef and liver paste inside of a little. Uh, toothpaste tube, uh, chocolate oh. sauce, and another little toothpaste tube. And uh, that's what he ate. The corn. I just have to say, the corn beef sandwich smuggled aboard Gemini, Gemini three in nineteen sixty five uh, by astronaut John Young. And liver the is the worst thing. thing. Pizza Hut was sent to the ISS. Pizza, Pizza Hut was it? Huh. That's I, like I know they do deliveries, but wow. Uh, it well, you were very late. Like... They got it free. <laughs> that that had to have been in the '90s, because do you remember the like domination Pizza Hut had as a pizza chain in the '90s? Maybe I don't know where you lived at that time. Copy. You're pretty close. But like, oh my god, all of your school reading programs, you would get you know a personal mm-hmm. pan pizza from Pizza Hut, and I can see it all in my head: the the lights and the buffet, and like, oh, it was all about Pizza Hut. Yeah. It has fallen from grace since then, but <laughs> yeah. in the '90s. I could see I how they had driving from the Great Pyramids. <laughs> I I love driving past these. Like I guess I guess there was a, like a big you know surge of Pizza Hut popularity in Australia as well because there are all of these old either abandoned or retooled uh, Pizza Hut yeah. buildings. The buildings have like a, are so they have that same shape. Yep. but they just <laughs> they're just not that anymore. <laughs> no, they're not. And actually, I also have very very vivid memories of. Um, don't ask me how my parents left this slide. I have no idea. Uh, we had a Land Before Time on cassette, and there was a commercial for Pizza Hut before it. And I like, I remember it <gasps> like it oh. burned in my brain. They put the spoons on their nose, and yeah. Anyway, all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. What was I'm ready. the first animal in space? The first was animal. A, was it a monkey? A fly, a dog, or a frog? Fly. Oh, I know it's not a dog. I know it's not. I think it's a monkey. Flies. Really? 1947, they were sent above the Carmen line on board a United States V2 rocket. They all survived. (laughs) They all survived. But that would have been a tricky experience for them. Uh, The answer is zero G flies. Uh, you gotta, happy for my other answers. <laughs> no, no, you got to give it to the fruit flies. I'm, I'm telling you, they are, they are such victims to so many biology classes and classrooms yeah. where they have to, you know, for genetics and stuff like that. Like, kudos to the fruit flies. Okay, continue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one. How many men have walked on the moon? Three. Oh, shoot. Eighteen. Twelve. 24 my my gut was 12 12. i think it's 12 
The answer is indeed 12. Woo! 24 men made it to the moon and back. 12 walked and three people went to the moon twice. Wow. Those other 12 just... people. Yeah. <laughs> right. to me. I have two more. <laughs> He's got two more. Oh my God. Benjamin, you're two good more, at two this. More, two okay. more. I'm excited. Right. What is the fastest man made object? Ooh. Voyager 1. What? New hmm. Horizons. The Parker Solar Probe or Cassini? Well, Cassini is no longer around. So that's not one. You said Voyager Parker 1. Probe, Parker Probe wouldn't be as fast since it's orbiting closely around the sun. And the other objects had to escape the sun's pull to go out of the solar system. Right. I was going to say, I feel like it, and I'm biased because I love Voyager. Like, mm-hmm. love Voyager. I mm. feel like it's Voyager, though, because it's the furthest out. It I is think... the Parker Solar Probe. Oh. What? No way. It is getting what? faster and faster the closer it's getting to the sun. Is it going to eventually, like, crash it's into gonna the sun? It's going to die there. Oh, it's going to crash right in and, dis- and die. It's going ridiculously fast. How fast is ridiculously fast? I should have put that down in my notes, but it's going fast. It's, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to Google that. Hold it's on. Like something like a like a like ten thousand kilometers an hour, something like that, right? Like an understandable percentage of the speed of light, or something. Like that. Okay, how fast is the Solar Parker probe going right now? Internet? Yeah, that. So, oh my god. Yes. Wait. What 430, is it? 430, hold on, 34300, what is that? 430,000 miles per hour. It's the fastest so, thing So uh, that is 154 kilometers squared per second squared. Oh, that was the launch. Hold on. It's, um, I'm trying to, 163 kilometers per hour. It's, uh-huh. a hot, no, it's. It's more whoa. than that. It's more than that. It's it's getting faster with every approach. <laughs> yeah, it's like 160 kilometers per second. Yeah, like that's mind-boggling. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Okay. Does wow. So I get... you wouldn't go on, go on. Be able to even see it. No. With your naked eye, there's no way. Maybe you won't. <laughs> <laughs> What's is coming right at you? I'm fast as the last. Fast as the last. Does anyone know what the fastest crude flight was? Less than that. Yes, to get to real quick is Apollo 10. Apollo 10 was the fastest vehicle. with they hit people inside on the way home from the moon. Apollo 10. Did it? And what what speed was it? What speed was it? Mach Wouldn't 70. you like to know? It was just <laughs> at 40,000 kilometers <laughs> on the way home. A little fun you side are... note. Uh, the ahead. fastest thing mankind ever made <laughs> by the year 1957 was actually a manhole cover. In New Mexico, they were testing <gasps> new bombs yep. underground in the Operation Plumb Bob. And what they did was, we'll contain this nuclear explosion. We'll contain this nuclear explosion. <laughs> sure, that'll, that'll work out By good. By putting yeah. a manhole on top of the hole, <laughs> we put the bomb in. It was a 2,000-pound, precisely one-pound steel cover. Hmm. And the thing, when the bomb exploded, they miscalculated the yield of the explosion. It was much bigger than they expected. And... We still don't know <laughs> what happened to it. it. It reached a speed of 150,000 miles an hour. Oh and scientists uh, uh, are uh. still on the fence. Did it make it to space <laughs> in 1.5 seconds? Did it make it to space in 1.5 seconds? Or did it evaporate halfway up? <laughs> I feel like we could do an entire episode also on like epic fails in science uh-huh. like that like when they uh blew up that that sperm whale on a beach and like yes <laughs> oh yeah oh it was going right. out to sea no problem but, but now you're reminding me of this old there's, a, there's an old story about 
uh, this um, a Chinese official or king at, at some point who like who wanted to talk about like in the years BC um, who basically strapped himself to a throne that was yes. like fitted with fireworks. I've heard of this. <laughs> it's like it's like ah, I want to go into outer space, what? and he was what? never seen again. <laughs> what? Hold on, this was this was. Um, one, one who of the, um, of the late to middle Ming dynasty. Okay. So, yeah. So, so this is like 4,000 years ago and he's credited as the world's first astronaut, but I guess not intentional. <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, I'm laughing at somebody who obviously died, but like, what? No, he, no, he didn't. He made it to space in 1.5 seconds. <laughs> Him and that oh manhole cover just chilling on the moon. Yep, oh and little God. chunks of whale also. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you had one more, don't you, one Benjamin? One more, one more. It's a fun one. Okay. What is the original name for the planet Uranus? Uranus. <laughs> Ooh. Was it Michael? Oh, was, it Peter? was it George? Was it Loretta? George. Was it a George? George? Yeah. It was, was it George. Named after the king. Yes. Uh, for about 40, 50 years. And it was George. That good thing it was. <laughs> I think it, it was George good. for a good long while. And they had to come back and uh, uh, it was officially given a name of Uranus to keep in line with all the other uh, mythological mm. names for planets. But it wasn't really. They probably wanted fully people to make less jokes about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of my. my, my, uh, my that, was awesome. that was some great questions. That was so good. Those were great this is a whole questions. Fun episode, guys. <laughs> who won? Wait, who Round won? dwarfs are cold. Pluto was salty. That was that was a. But you had like really cool, fun space facts that 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 was really fun. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, we are massively over time, and it's fine because we had a good time. Um, thank you for all of you who have listened to this nonsense. We hope you learned a little bit as well, and. Uh, yeah, as always, a reminder, you can follow all of us on all of the Time Waster apps, as Kavi would say. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, blah, 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 blah. I am Space Case Sarah. Uh, you can find me as such everywhere. Um, Kavi is I fun am fact fun science. fact science. Indeed. Yes. And Benjamin, who is cradling his tardigrade once again, is you can science actually... Me. Actually, yes. science. Yeah. Yes. On all the time wasters. Facebook On all primarily. the time wasters. Science so, You'll love it. Tell your family. Uh, you know what? I really appreciated your cosmic calendar countdown, by the way. Thank you. I really yes. enjoyed those posts. Those were really fun. So, yes, follow these guys. They post way more, like, good, like, in line with what we do content than I do. I'm like, hey, <laughs> throw whatever up. So, uh, yeah, and also follow IROC Space Radio. We got we got stuff brewing. We got always oh, got, got things stuff. to cook in, and we got mm-hmm. stuff coming up for y'all. Exciting things. stuff. Things. And uh, so keep an eye on the horizon for that. I know I, I feel like I say that a lot, but really I, I definitely have some stuff on the horizon for you all. So please follow us everywhere and as always thank you for listening you have been listening to the space case air show with the space nerds kavi and benjamin here on iraq space radio you've been listening to the space case sarah show with the space nerds kavi and benjamin a production of iraq space radio go to iraq for more